Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. I'll read this portion of our gospel lesson for our text today, taken from that, 20, that 12th chapter, reading from the 20th, 23rd verse. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. When Martin Luther said that the Christian's life is like that of the farmer who works all day as though it all depended on him and prays all night as though it all depends on God, he was speaking very accurately, I think, about the way in which a Christian lives his or her life. He was, in a sense, saying what is being driven at at this text, that there comes a time when we must let go and leave things into the hands of God. He was getting at the heart of what it is that Jesus was driving at in this text because he himself is going to have to let go and become the so-called victim of what took place at the cross. I think we know that all of life is a combination of doing work, and then also taking time to rest or to let go. My goodness sakes, even we can find from that uh, movie Frozen, which all of our kids seem to know better than the adults, in that movie Elsa sings a song about letting go. If we work eight hours, we might be productive. If we work 12 hours, probably less productive. And if we work 20 hours a day, and we try to do that seven days a week, you can most assuredly say that we will never be productive. We have to learn, even from our daily lives, that there comes a time that we have to let go. Sometimes we might even call it the Sabbath, a time to rest. We may find ourselves concerned about all kinds of things, maybe like even a child driving a car for the first time, and we might be biting our nails and living with anxiety, but there comes a point in which we have to be able to even there say that we have to let go. This fact of the matter is, from our daily life, we realize that there are consequences to both body and mind if we cannot learn how to be able to let things go. If we don't, we will lose. We'll actually have our life slipping out of our hands. Well, Jesus, probably a good farmer, knew exactly how it is that one must work. He was a worker. He healed the lame and the sick and the blind. He taught and he preached from boats and mountaintops. He taught from village to village. He confronted his false teachers and their abusive teachings, and he even raised people from the dead. But like a good farmer, Jesus also knew when it was time to let things go. He 
let things go when he was asleep on board of that ship as that ship was being so tossed by the sea that his disciples thought they were going to drown. He could let it go because he knew he was in the hands of a gracious God. He was the gracious God himself. He let go when he allowed Mary to pour a pint of pure nard over his feet while she dried them with her hair, even over the objections of Judas. He, in a sense, let go as he was riding into Jerusalem and the children were coming out and singing praises, Hosanna, Hosanna to the Son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And his adversaries were saying, rebuke those children. And Jesus, no, he let it go. Shortly after that resurrection of Lazarus, there were a group of, says, Greeks, that is, Hellenes. Maybe they were Jews that had actually taken on the lifestyle of the Greeks. But they had come to Jerusalem for the purpose of celebrating the Passover. And they had undoubtedly heard about the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead. And they came seeking an audience with Jesus. Jesus saw this as a sign. It meant that it was now necessary for him to undergo death and crucifixion. The time had come for him to face death. He could have run away. He could have entered into politics and tried to turn the crowd against his adversaries. But had he done so, death and sin and hell and the devil would have won. To explain this mystery of how one by letting go actually wins, Jesus gives us another farm analogy, that of a kernel of wheat. Unless that wheat is planted into the soil, it does not and will not spring to life. It has to die first. Jesus was going to be a sacrifice that would turn God's anger away from sinful men. I don't know if you saw that today in our anthem, how he stilled and turned away God's wrath towards us by becoming himself the object, I guess you might say the sacrifice. God laid on him our sins. His sacrifice would expose the love of the Father for an unlovable world and thereby reconcile men to God. That's what he said when he said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him might not perish but have everlasting life. He talked about the Son of Man being lifted up. Why? So that the world could see in that suffering and death of Christ, not God as a God of wrath against us, but as a God of mercy towards us. Jesus, by his death, was going to destroy the power of the devil because the power of the devil is rooted in the fear of death, which we now no longer need fear. And this death of Jesus was going to also result in the Gentiles being restored to fellowship with God. For now it was going to be possible through faith alone to enter into a relationship with God in heaven and be reconciled to him. Jesus knew how terrible things were going to be for himself. Think about this. He was letting go so that he could be beaten and stripped nails driven into his hands and feet. He was going to be mocked and whipped 
and put to death on a cross the most amazingly difficult, painful way of death ever devised by mankind. But he was ready and he was willing to let go. That is what faith is in many respects, isn't it? It's reliance. Faith doesn't work. It doesn't do anything but trust. It lets go and it trusts and relies upon what it is that someone else, in this case God, is doing for us. Jesus would accept whatever trials and temptations the world would impose upon him because he trusted in the gracious and the providential care of his Father. As St. Paul says, all things work for the good of those who love him. All things. But Jesus did not intend for him, being the only one who would let go, he also commanded us, his fellow followers, to let go as we come to follow him. We're going to face many different kinds of trials in our life. It doesn't mean that we don't try, work to overcome them. But the farmer, he must work to overcome whatever lies within his control. But there are also many dangers and many trials that come upon us beyond our control from above us. In somehow the providential ways of God, we don't understand why they're there, but we do know this. All things work for the good of those who love him. Jesus had enemies. We will have enemies. Jesus experienced sorrow. We are going to experience sorrow. Jesus wept at death, and we are going to weep at death too. But when all these things lie outside of our control, then we must let go. Then we, if we want to notice the, the promise here, we can let go. Letting go means that we entrust ourselves to a gracious God who loves us, a God who rules over all things for our good, and it may be so mysterious as to why it is that God was at work in these things, but all things, all things, work for the good of those who love him. Indeed, St. Paul says in Romans, suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint because God pours out his spirit into our hearts. Jesus compares letting go in many respects, to the death of a seed. Death, when it comes, has more power than we do. Death is not something that we seek. It is rather something that seeks us. It's a force that commands us to leave this world for another world. Death takes us out of this world, a world, however, that is filled with fights and contentions and jealousy and materialism, those things no longer affect a dead person. We, too, have a sinful nature. We call it the old Adam. The old Adam lives in and for this world. The old Adam is jealous and greedy 
He is afraid and he is angry at God. He is resentful because he can't be what he wants to be and resentful of what it is that other people get. You know this, old Adam. He lives in you and he lives in me and in every person. But when we can look at that suffering Savior, when we can see a God that is at work in all things for those who love him, when we can see that now death has no longer any claim over us because of his suffering there upon that cross, that wonderful message believed with our heart is what kills the old Adam. He dies, and when he dies, a new man comes forth like a wheat seed sprouting to life, producing and bringing fruit. Letting go means that we let ourselves die, if you will. We die to not only this world, but to all things that make the world go round. And we come alive and live to that hope of the resurrection and that wonderful life of the world that is yet to come. Jesus knew that his death was going to accomplish some incredible things. He tells, tells us about this in his text. In the first place, he said that his death was going to glorify God. That's to say, men were going to look at that crucified Christ and know that God was going to be now through this Christ reconciled to the world and that God was no longer going to hold men's sins against them. That he so loved the world that when we saw that Christ, we would say, there is the manifestation and the absolute security of God's love. And when that message is known, God is glorified. That's how we glorify God. Not with our deeds, not with our works, not with our actions, not with our attitudes, not with our dispositions. But when we look to that Christ and say, there, God has done it all for us in that person who died on that cross. Secondly, in the death of Jesus and in his resurrection, God does something to the world and its wisdom. He actually judges it. If you wanted to use the word, word more strictly, he condemns it. He puts it in its place. He shows how fruitless, how vile, how impossible everything that the world says and does is. It's as though he were saying, world, you can take your money, you can take your wealth, you can take your fake holiness, you can take your science and even your wisdom and your human reason and even your silly and foolish about ideas about how it is that you make your way to heaven. None of them make any difference whatsoever. The only thing that matters is whether or not we are in unity and in union with that one who there died upon that cross and rose again from the dead that one who was crucified, that's where you find happiness and that's where you find peace. Everything in this world is perishing. And as the scriptures say, what is of value to men is bedelung, is vile, disgusting to God. The world, therefore, is judged by the cross of Christ. Thirdly, the death of Christ 
literally brings about the judgment or the condemnation of the devil himself. Jesus said it. The prince of this world is being judged, the ruler of this world. For the devil's lies and illusions and deceptions that make the world think that wealth and power and money and all those things, that those things are the things that lead to happiness, he destroys the wisdom of the world and he thereby also destroys the one who is the deceiver of the world so that now we are able to go beyond the fear of death and we are able to say no to that Satan and his illusions. But last of all, that vision, that picture of Jesus as the one who is dying there upon that tree for the whole world to see, naked and suffering, dying as a victim at the hands of his enemies, strangely, mysteriously, becomes a magnet. A magnet that would draw men and women and children from all over the world back to God. He would go out and call all people from all nations and language to himself by means of actually the church's proclamation of the crucified Christ. That's why we sang at opening hymn, Lift high the cross, the love of Christ proclaim, that all the world may adore his sacred name. When the church literally puts the crucified Christ before the eyes of the world, this is the magnet that draws people to find that source of their happiness and salvation. So Jesus tells us, let it go. Stay in that light. Don't give in to this world of darkness. Keep that suffering, crucified Christ right before your eyes. And he says, do this while it is day, before the night comes and no one can work or do it. As the Proverbs tell us, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. For whoever saves, seeks to save his life is going to lose it. But whoever lets it go, whoever loses it for my sake in the gospel, will save it. So when the time comes and you can no longer work, let it go. Let it go into the hands of a gracious God and you will save your life. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding guard and keep your thoughts and your minds through faith in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.